Do you remember That's that? Right. Do you I, remember I thought I, you did that out of the kind of kindness of your heart. I didn't. That too, that. but also because I didn't have, I like, I didn't have a Kris Kringle, so I literally just everybody was my Kris Kringle, and Aww. I painted like little memes in them. And I think Khan like actually lost one of my like, one of the memes that I gave him, which is classic Khan. Wait, Khan lost the one that you gave him. I think I think he did. It was the one about. But it that was, was like, the Danny Dorito. Yeah, that was Danny Dorito. Oh my god! Oh my! I'm going to kill this man. I know. I'm going to I Christmas know. kill this Khan. What a fucking hoe! <laughs> what a fucking! Oh my god! Like I was so jealous that he got that one. <laughs> I was not quiet about being jealous about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, bitch. which one did you get? I got the cars one. It's still it's still <laughs> over there. I, yeah, I got the kachow. <laughs> its eyes are just like that, and I still love it. I still look at it like it's every so day. Bad. I wake up and I see that kachow, and I'm like, yes, I'm gonna lightning McQueen the fuck out of this day. Oh my god! <laughs> but speaking of Kris Kringle and unhappy holiday gifts, welcome to a very very festive episode of As a Film Student. I'm your host Jolly Saint Mon, and I'm Jolly Saint Nick. Oh my god, like Saint Nicholas! Oh, oh my god, yeah, wow. that's almost wow. as that's... if I'd. That's almost as if I'd like taken that into consideration last year <laughs> when I was picking my name because it's my favorite time of year. I love Christmas so much. Oh my god. Okay, so I actually hate Christmas. Like, I'm what? literally the Grinch. Yeah, I actually Yeah, but the Grinch started... has his heart expanded at the end well, of that. My so... heart... Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. My heart has expanded. But, like, I used to never celebrate Christmas as a, chi- like, as a child. I never got presents, never celebrated Christmas. And so it was just a foreign concept to me. I just thought it was a thing that only white people did. And so I never did it in my family. But I think afterwards, my family just wanted an excuse to get drunk and to just see, every, like, just a party, basically. And so we would have a Christmas <laughs> gathering, but we would never do anything that was traditionally Christmas. I think it was only until recently where I actually started buying gifts for my parents. And they never buy me gifts because they're like, the best gift that we can give you is that I gave birth to you. Oh <laughs> I was like, God. okay. <laughs> they're like, my gift is your life. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Bitch, what kind of a gift? I don't want it. It's Where's the receipt? Where's the receipt? Where's can I give receipt? it back? Where's the receipt? What's the return policy? <laughs> Is there, an ex- is there a return or exchange policy? Do I have 30 days to exchange? Like, what's going on? Um, and, like, in Australia, we our, our Christmas is so different from around the world because, like, it's summer where, mm. you know. I love the summer in Australia and how it's Christmas. And I don't think I'm missing out on anything by never having a white Christmas in that, mm. like, there's no snow. I feel like, you know, this kind of Christmas is my favourite kind, mm. mostly because I grew up with it and that's what I'm used to and that's a, you know, human cognitive bias that people have. But I really feel like the Australian summer Christmas is the best fucking Christmas but aesthetic. what about Christmas in July? Oh, I've done Christmas in July. It fucking sucks. They open it the kitchen sucks. doors and everything. They actually do. Like, I remember when I went to Ballarat, like, two years ago, and it was Christmas in July, and I had no idea what was going on. It wasn't even snowing, because, like, barely It's fucking Ballarat. Here. And it's Ballarat. <laughs> and basically, like, they didn't have any snow and they would use fake snow and it was just plastic or something. And I was like, this is not good for the environment, but okay. And I don't know, it was just really weird. Um, but yes, Christmas. Today, what we're going to be doing is actually kind of reviewing a couple of Christmas films because mm. what great time to give presents but to watch really funny and great christmas films you know (laughs) yes and you've recommended all three because i don't really watch many christmas films i watch films that i associate with christmas and i watch films that are like classics like you know elf and how the grinch stole christmas like 
but I don't watch these mm. Hallmark Christmas films that we're dealing with today. I feel like with like Hallmark Christmas films, they're like geared towards a certain type of audience. And it's like, you know how you, when you watch Elf or The Grinch, you're like, you know, you're going there for nostalgia. You're going there for like that childlike, you know, mm. nostalgia of Christmas. You're like, yes, home alone to be stuck in a house and there's burglars coming, like robbing your house and you're like only like six years old and basically like... <laughs> It's just really scary because you're six and there's two adult men chasing you and trying to get into your house. And who knows what could have happened in Home Alone. Honestly, I would have just let them take all the shit. I, I, w- I would have just been like, okay, rob my house. Just here, have this laptop. This laptop's fucking broken. Just have it. <laughs> just take and it. Don't take, the tape. don't take the Chromecast. I will fucking kill you. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think with Hallmark films, it is like a different... I guess fantasy that is created for uh, like an audience, and that audience is straight women, white people, straight, straight women. white women. And I feel like it's the whole it's the whole argument about rom coms being for a woman. Like, oh, those are just girly films. The film, those films are for girls. Basically, Hallmark films are for women who are very 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 internally horny but also horny for god amen jesus christ lord and savior jesus christ superstar oh my god how <laughs> dare you say those three fucking words that triggers me that, like, <laughs> i'm oh my god but you you said horny and oh my god these films are so horny Considering that they're on Hallmark, which is a very American television channel, mm-hmm. and America, America's roots were as a puritanical like nation, like they began that nation began as a religious safe haven for the weirder religious people that not even England can handle. Exactly, it was like wait, who were they, what are they called? The um, what are they called? Those people. In the, in the Americans, when they came to America, they're called the... The Puritans? Yes, those motherfuckers with the turkeys and the, the and colonizing... And the buckles on the hats. And their little buckles on their hats and the... Fucking geno- dumb as shit. And the, gen- and the genocide of the indigenous people. Oh, That's fucking dumb shit. Why would they do that Disgusting. for? Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. But yeah, like seriously though, like it's... I think Hallmark is really interesting as like a concept because it actually had its roots in like religious cable networks um, and they were called the American Christian Television System which is um, ACTS and the Vision Interfaith Satellite Network which is VISN and these networks were actually connected with another like broader network called Faith and Values Channel and it basically like focused on exercise shows, health, and cooking shows and family oriented drama series and movies like they were doing this all for god they were doing they were doing this for fucking jesus christ superstar <laughs> they were they were the superstar <laughs> okay okay you know that musical was written by andrew lloyd webber okay right who also I know that. wrote fucking cats cats 2019 <laughs> yeah yeah he had a hand in t- <laughs> Let's not get stuck down that rabbit hole. Let's not do that. But yeah, yeah, we won't. Basically, everything goes back to Jesus when you talk about white people. Exactly. I yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, America itself is based on like a very Judeo-Christian like system as well. And basically, back to the Hallmark channels, it was actually later like the Faith and Values channel was actually renamed to the Odyssey Network, and then. Um, you know, Hallmark started as like a greeting card company because like cards, Christmas, birthdays, yeah. and then they actually like they also had assistance with the Jim Henson company, who actually <sighs> bought like he actually bought Odyssey in 1998, and then was actually and then actually relaunched the Hallmark Channel in 2001. Okay, if you don't know who Jim Henson is, dear listener, he is. The guy behind the fucking Muppets. Yep. He's yep. he's a big deal. Basically. He's a big he's a big well, fucking was deal. A big deal. Rest in peace, G- Jim Henson. Rip. Rest in peace, Jesus Christ, Superstar. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> oh 
Jesus Christ superstar. I fucking just love the concept of it. Okay. Um but it's really interesting seeing how Hallmark like the Hallmark channel like obviously they do a lot of like, you know, like prime time, not prime time, but like made for TV television films, but all of those films are geared towards Christmas. And you're probably wondering to yourself, why Christmas? Why not Valentine's Day? Why not Halloween? Why not Thanksgiving, which is a pretty fucked up idea. I mean, imagine Thanksgiving where people literally fucking died. Anyways, imagine like, you know, the 4th of July. No, they choose Christmas specifically. And you know why? Because Christmas equals motherfucking money, baby. Like, it makes a fuck ton of money. Like, a fuck ton of money. Like, it's crazy. And so, like, let me, let me, let me kind of break it down for you as well, right? Okay, Nick, let me break it down. So, Hallmark places in the top 20 and even the top 10 amongst cable channels in, like, the key demographics. And the, t- the, the key demographics, the, uh, the key demographics of them is women aged between 25 to 54 and women aged between 18 to 49. And that's for the entire year. But that actually got, like rises to first place during November and December. And so basically like they have this event, right? It's like an annual like event they have in the channel and it's called the Christmas Palooza. And it draws about, no, it, no, 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 this is crazy. It draws about 15.2 million viewers. And that's only in 2016 alone. And in 2017, it pulled in like 17.6 million people. And that has like a, that's basically like a 16% increase. Like, I know this is a lot of maths for a fucking art student, like, (laughs) podcast. You would have lost me, but I do happen to know the population of Australia currently is 25 million people. So putting that in perspective, it means that about two thirds of Australia would be tuning into this. But we're talking about America and America has a population of about 200 million people. Exactly. So proportionately, it doesn't mean that most of America is turning in, but it means that a fucking big amount of people are still turning in to watch this crap. And it is crap. And the thing is, it's crap that is commercialized, capitalized, and makes a fuck ton of money and so much revenue for the Hallmark Channel. Hey, that's what Jesus died for. Jesus Christ, savior for our sins. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ, superstar. Okay, I'm gonna but yeah, it, it's it's really interesting though because like I feel like with any other like production company or even any production channel, it obviously invests more like in, more heavily in some films than others like in some films than others you know, and like the weird thing about the Christmas films is that there's no stunts, there's no special effects, there's like barely anything, and the thing is they all look the fucking same. Oh all of these God. films look the same. And there's yeah. this there's been like articles and like all of these memes about like the posters of these like Hallmark Christmas films. They're basically like literally copy like control C, control V of each fucking poster. And it's and it also stars like the same type of people as well. Mm. Um and all of these people are white, you know? <laughs> That's that's actually the reason that I've never seen one of these films up until this week because I usually, I like picking movies either because somebody has recommended them to me or because I like the poster or because I like the concept. And with Hallmark films, well, nobody's recommending to me, them to me. The concept is, like, boring. Like, all of them are boring. And the posters, they're all that green-red colour scheme there's a white heterosexual couple just standing there. So it's like, I can't pick one to watch because they all look the same and the plots all look the same. I just, it's true. I, I've seen one Hallmark film and that was uh, four hours ago in preparation for this. <laughs> and it's like, I already still feel like I've seen a dozen or two dozen just through sheer cultural osmosis like the only fucking christmas film that looks like this that i want to see is the kfc hallmark film coming out in like a few days oh my god yes i am fucking dying for that i have never 
Oh my god, it's like I don't know what is KFC doing with their marketing, but they're killing it. They are fucking they're, killing it. They made they're doing a, so well. They fucking made an Ultima game for like the kernel, and I played that, and I've never creamed my pants harder. But <laughs> holy crap, the that KFC kernel can just kernel my insides. Anyways, Bro, besides the Khan point, that's dying because KFC is living. No, that's the thing. Is like Khan has a huge obsession with KFC. If anything were to happen to him health wise, KFC is is the to blame. Don't you dare blame KFC. But yeah, it's like basically all these hallmark films literally are the same, and the actors like literally are the same as well. But the weird thing is. They actually like go to independent production companies and they that actually specialize in making Hallmark films. And I think that's quite fascinating is that they always use the same people for everything. Um, and one of the like, like the most biggest things that are in Hallmark films is actually the product placement. Heaps and heaps of product placement of just everything. Because so many people watch Hallmark films and the reason why people watch these films is because it's a fantasy. Like, it isn't, like, to... You don't go into a Hallmark film expecting to deconstruct the mise-en-scene in cinematography and to be wowed by the incredible acting. Like, it's not an Oscar award. (laughs) It's not an Oscar-worthy performance. It's just because you want to watch something shit. Like, you, you, you know, you might want to just watch something stupid just to feel like you're smarter or just to... Like, sometimes when you don't have a brain cell and you're just like, I just want to watch something dumb, you know? I don't care. Sometimes you just need to feel cozy and you need to feel like... And for a lot of people, it can be like a comfort thing. Like, Mm. I know this film is bad, but it's a film that is comforting to me. And I have so many of those. I know. And the thing is that comfort films are actually such a phenomenon and such a beautiful thing as well. And, like, if you love these Christmas films... Like, so be it. Like, all the power to you. Um, But it's just so hard to watch it when you're sober. (laughs) I've watched the majority of the Christmas films drunk, and it's the best. It is the best time. But, yeah, like, I feel like with the... I think the, the beauty of Hallmark Christmas films is the fact that it is comforting, and it is warm, and it's some place that you can go to where you can, like, live that weird traditionalist fantasy that many people might have and hey like sometimes like romance in christmas it's an aesthetic it is a fucking yeah cool aesthetic the months before christmas are called cuffing season because like you cuff someone until like valentine's day or something and then like in march you dump them or may if you're me oh my god nick (laughs) well but like i get it because i am in December, like, I get cuffing season because, my God, I don't know if it was that ghost movie that we watched or mm. what, but I am incredibly horny all throughout December. Just... You know, do you know what? <laughs> I actually also am as well. I, I completely understand you. Like, when I was yeah. watching, like, if you, if anybody has read my letterbox reviews for any Christmas films, <laughs> you guys will know how horny I am on Christmas. I have. They're all so horny, and it's just like, Jesus Christ, Monica! Jesus Christ, Mon! What are you doing? This is... The things you say would put me to shame. The things you say would put 14-year-olds who don't know how a sex works on Tumblr writing smart fiction between two gay men, even though they are heterosexual women for the moment, to shame. Oh my god! Yeah, basically, um, I'm a very horny individual during Christmas, and it's the entire like during that entire period. And the thing is, like, I know that and I embrace that, and I don't care. It's because Saint Nick coming down your chimney is an innuendo. You know, Saint Nick coming to suck my Saint Dick. I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sure fucking would. Yeah, you know. Saint Nick can definitely come down my chimney anytime, you know. <laughs> he can definitely. I would love to have his little presence. Because like I just I love bearded older men so much. So like you give me Santa Claus, what do you think? I'm gonna fuck it. Yeah, yeah. I would never what think do you that. Think I... it's gonna happen. I'm going to fuck this man. Oh well, there's a different meaning to putting your cookies in milk, 
for him, right? <laughs> yeah, but back back to Hallmark Christmas films. I think that's just such a genuine, I guess, love and acceptance for them now. Like, it's just like a, it's just a meme at this point. It's just a fucking meme. Like, do you remember when I was talking about how they're literally a copy and paste version of each other? Like, oh, they yeah. all look the fucking same, and they all have the same plotline. Like, it's always just like, like in every story, there's like an attractive white woman who's like frankly dissatisfied with her life, right? And you know she's got she's got a great career and she's like really wealthy for some goddamn reason. Like she owns an apartment in New York, in like Manhattan somewhere, but she still can't afford to like buy a bagel, you know. And it's like a weird disparity of class and wealth here, which I don't understand. But you know it's a fantasy, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on it yet. And like you know she ha- it's like she lives in the big city. And, you know, she has all these experiences, but then she doesn't, like, she doesn't really feel fulfilled. She doesn't feel like she has meaning in her life. She doesn't feel like she has her other half. And so she decides to, like, go back to a small, like, hometown for a visit, you know, because she's always from a hometown somewhere. And then, you know, that town is exactly how she remembers it. You know, it's friendly neighbors, very, like, quaint lifestyle. It's very white and extremely middle class. And then, uh-oh. Oops, oopsie daisy. She has a little meet cute with a hunky, sexy, older, maybe not older, but like man who just happens to be single and happens to be a cool guy and happens to be in her area, you know, like hot single guys in your area kind of thing. And basically that's kind of like where the romance starts. And, you know, by the end, she basically is settled in her hometown She's preparing to basically like fucking throw out some of her like throw out some babies for him, and she kind of like leaves her entire life, career, and wealth back in that city that she lived in, you know. And that's basically the formula for all of these hallmark films, is that it's basically just like here's is what happens, this is what happens, this is what happens, and it's the exact same thing, but it's in different turns, you know. And so what I find really interesting is that Hallmark films are quite different but very similar to the Netflix Christmas films because the Netflix Christmas films actually emulate the Hallmark Christmas films. And so it's only recently that they've started to emulate that. And seeing, I think it's just that popularity with Christmas films is just so, I guess, powerful that Netflix had to make something like that is similar. But I guess Netflix does it with their own spin. Um, Because what Netflix does is that they use people of color. (gasps) Oh my God, you mean they don't use the white? They don't use just the whites. Like they obviously do use the whites, but they also I mean, don't use the whites. Just of ambiguous roses and possibly ambiguous sexualities. Yeah, and amb- ambiguous races too. You know, like <gasps> stuff like that. Um, which is actually quite interesting uh, to dissect. But first things first, let's talk about our first film on the table, Nick: The Spirit of Christmas. Yes, I got this one confused with The Christmas Spirit quite a few times. <laughs> I think both of them were just Hallmark films about a lady wanting to fuck a ghost. And honestly, okay, this is relatively a small, uh, this isn't like a popular Christmas film at all. Like, especially, it's not a popular Hallmark Christmas film. So it isn't like, you know, like the Christmas mail or the Christmas da-da-da. It's not like, it's not a Christmas prince kind of thing, right? It is a very, not independent, but very, un, not not a well-known one. But it's actually my favourite Hallmark. It's my favourite, favourite uh, Christmas Hallmark movie. Because really? it actually has, it actually, no, the thing is, it actually has a very interesting concept. Like, a very interesting concept that is different from all the other Hallmark movies that I've seen. It's so boring. It is boring. It's, it's so boring. It's like, it's only 90 minutes, but I feel like it could have been 60 Oh my god, the entire time I was just like, can they just, can they just fucking be done with it? Like, exactly. get over your dead wife. Fuck you, ghost. Jesus. I know, but the thing is, like, I just have this fantasy of just moving into an old house and just falling in love with a ghost. Like, I remember when I was younger, I read a lot of fan fiction about ghost fucking, but I feel like obviously necrophilia sucks. But it's actually a really fascinating one because it implies, like, it basically applies all of the same, it implies the same hallmark formula, but with a twist. And that's what I like about it. And that twist is that, oh, the boy that you've had that meet cute with, oh my god, he's a, he's a ghost, bitch. He's a, he's a fucking ghost. 
And honestly, like, I was awaiting some hot, steamy ghost sex. Yeah, and I was wondering, okay, um, if they have ghost sex... And this was, like, I was thinking about this when I was just, like, oh, there's a ghost in this house. It, it, they hadn't established yet that this ghost actually appears like a normal person, which is, like, it sounds like the screenwriter just got really lazy because I wanted to consider, like, I don't know how ghost sex works, okay? Like if you walk in on a woman having sex with a ghost and it's penis and vagina, what does her vagina look like? I want to know that. What does ghost cum taste like? I want to know that. But instead, they just kind of make him a human, but he's dead. But it's like, is her vagina like a gaping ho hole? It just like, you know, retracts and, you know, detracts? Yeah, yeah, like that's what I want to know. Honestly, I think ghost sex would be so hot. I feel like it'd only be hot if you had like two ghosts and yeah okay okay do you know what's weird okay this is gonna be a really weird tangent ghost gangbang okay nick this is actually a tangent but ghost sex is actually a real thing so okay real putting this in apostrophe but um by real what i mean is that like there's this lady that I've, i watched this documentary about this is lady and she's like a medium and she basically has a ghost pirate boyfriend and apparently they have really crazy sex and she got married to him like legally married to him but then guess what she and him had a spat. She and this ghost pirate boyfriend had a spat. And so they broke up. And so she was fucking another ghost. I don't know how this is relevant. I just wanted to bring another up the ghost? fact that... So, <laughs> I just wanted to bring up the fact that these people exist. And um, ghost sex is actually apparently a thing. And I mean, it reminds me of this story of when I was like younger... I had a sleep paralysis demon. It's not a ghost, but it was a sleep paralysis demon. And I remember one time I was just freaking out. And then he like was really like, it was tall and lanky. And then, yeah, tall and you wanted lanky to guys. fuck it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. You saw anyway. a tall, lanky sleep paralysis demon and you wanted to fuck it. Yeah, why not? But it basically like started sliding its hand like on my leg. And I was like, guys, what the freak? And then I just thought to myself, hot. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I was not actually turned on. I was fucking terrified. And then I think the more I started thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of hot. I haven't, I, mean, se I haven't seen, I haven't seen it in like years. This is when I was like a teenager, like I was like sixteen. I mean, the sliding the hands up the leg thing is kind of hot. The being in sleep paralysis is not hot. Like not yeah. being able to like say anything or move or do anything. That's not hot. That is not but, hot. That is, yeah. Anyways, back back to the sex of Christmas. I mean, the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> the spirit sex of Christmas. Again, like, it is an incredibly white and colonial film as well. It's super oh fucking God. white. The fact that the ghost is from Prohibition era and there's not any non-white people in the entire film. It's almost like because, because these films come from, like, a religious, like, background because of Hallmark you would probably think that it is obviously geared towards conservative, like, middle-class white people. But the fact that we're calling it a fantasy is the fantasy that people of colour and queerness don't exist. And that mm. this space is purely a white, heterosexual, patriarchal space. And so, because of that, that's the fantasy of white America. And, like, the Hallmark... Like, these Hallmark films are a fantasy of white America. And that's why people of colour just don't exist. And if they do exist, they're relegated to secondary roles. Or Not like, even secondary, like, extras, basically. Yeah, basically extras. And it's the whole saying, like, people of colour are minor and do not have a, you know, they don't have any contribution to society, but to just exist. And so I think that, like, obviously it's a stretch, but it's something to think about, is that these Hallmark films, and it's a staple of all Hallmark films, that they exclusively use white people and exclusively herald white stories and white protagonists. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's like, it's the unconscious bias. It's, um... Because, you know, when you're doing certain colorblind things, it's, it, is it actually colorblind or are you just imagining that colorblind equals white? And so it's like, yeah, sure, maybe a person of color could fill this role, but we're just going to put white people in it. Yeah, but there is also criticism of colorblind casting. And that mainly is the fact that if you are casting somebody who, like, in a very colorblind way, you're also kind of erasing this person's race and culture and their 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 struggles as a person of color. And so there is kind of like two sides of the story, like two sides of the co coin. Two sides of the coin. 
there's a side where like, oh yes, the person of color is in this role. That's really fantastic. But on the other side, this person of color is in a role that doesn't really focus on their race, which some people might say is good, but some people also say, oh, this person is whitewashed. This person just doesn't realize that they're black or yeah. Asian. And it exposes the biases of the writer because the writer exactly. never wrote with any race in mind. Because if you were writing, say, for example, uh, a character who is supposedly not of any supposed race and you were writing it from America, that wouldn't work because black people in America and white people in America and Asian people in America, Hispanic people in America, they all have very different ways of speaking, of communicating, of acting, of uh, perceiving the world around them. So you can't really create a neutral, potentially colorblind thing. It's You're just showing your hand, basically, if you're not doing it skillfully. Exactly. And I think with Netflix, what Netflix does instead in like the other films that we're going to talk about um, is utilizing actresses and actors who are actually racially ambiguous to kind of weed their way around this. And so um, the next movie we're going to talk about is The Princess Switch, which I actually think is a fucking great film. It's basically The Parent Trap, but if The Parent Trap was like really corny, it was about like princesses and shit. Basically, Vanessa Hudgens is actually, um, she's mixed. So she's mixed with yeah. Asian. So she's mixed with she's Filipino. Philo and she's Philo on her dad's side and her mm-hmm. mother is wait, no, that's backwards. Her mother's Philo and her dad is Irish, Scottish and Native American mix. Yeah, so she is basically and it's funny because all of the roles that she's gotten over her time is playing Latino or Hispanic characters because she looks racially ambiguous. And so Obviously, when you kind of cast somebody who is mixed and racially ambiguous, I guess you don't recognize their, I guess, intricacies of race. You're just like, oh, this person looks quite racially interesting. Let's put them first. So then people may jump us, jump on us for being too white, you know? And so with the Princess Switch, there's a character. I forgot his name, but he's like the best friend character. And Kevin? he's black. Yeah, and he's and he's black and he's, he's a hot black guy, yeah. you know? He's so hot. Netflix just finds hot guys so easily, kind of. And then of. they put them in, like, the friend zone area, and I'm like, oh my god, what are you doing? But I like that. I feel like it's interesting, because, you know, it's like the whole idea of, like, men and women can't be friends. And so, like... Yeah, but if they're in the friend zone, they can't take their top off for my enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> and as we said, it's December. I'm horny. So, with the Princess Switch, like, they utilize all of these, you know, very interesting mixes of different races and it's meant to be very dive like it's meant to be you know show diversity essentially it kind of just paints some of these people of color in a very whitewashed way but i feel like with the princess switch it doesn't like it just shows an american like a black american guy who you know runs a bakery who loves his daughter and is a really nice guy and yeah i feel like that's quite nice but on the other hand it's like that kind of it's like pretending like slavery didn't exist kind of thing because there's always just a level of power or like of tension between white people and black people. Especially yeah, because he didn't actually own that bakery until the second film. It, mm-hmm. He was just Vanessa Hudgens' little bitch in the first film. And oh my god, the second they said, oh yeah, she's a baker, uh, my fight or flight instincts were just like, because you know I did two years of patisserie and screenwriters usually don't and it's like oh my god motherfucker what are you gonna fuck up now and I found that that was a recurring sort of theme throughout all three films that you recommended every time they had like either a baking scene or like a drinking scene and fuck you what are you gonna fuck up exactly and so I guess the whole princess switch is very like, oh, the monarchy is so great. Look at us rich people care about all these other people, like all these poor people. You know, it's almost so, it's like the whole rags to riches, except she was never rags, you know? Yeah. Um, I just found it quite interesting about how these kind of Hallmark Christmas films like traverse class boundaries. 
like the thing is Vanessa Hudgens in this film um she's very like she's quite like upper class not upper class but she's middle Wh- class which she's Vanessa working... well Vanessa okay Baker Vanessa we need it we need it because it's fucking because I call them Pom and Seppo because I don't know their names <laughs> yeah that's true and so Baker Vanessa is like middle class she's working She's working class. She's trying. She owns a. She owns a business. She's trying to make it. But then you have kind of high upper class royalty Vanessa, and the fact that because they want to switch lives, they're basically switching class. But they're switching class temporarily, and so it's almost like class is simply like a concept that can be moved to another, like to basically shifted to a person whenever they wanted. And so that's that's something that I find very fascinating. And you see the fetishization of the upper class, of the lower class lifestyle, that working class. It's like, because it's the, uh, it's the Pomo uh, Vanessa Hudgens that suggests the little switch because she'd always idolize that middle class lifestyle, whereas the middle class are always idolizing the upper class and the lower class are just like, hey... Are we going to be... No, you're not going to be idolized. Sorry, You're not going to be. You guys are fucked. <laughs> we so, recognize that you do vital things in society, but we're not going to idolize you. Sorry, sweaty. Yep, and it's that interesting kind of class... Class transmission, where they literally just converge together. And I think there's just a point where Vanessa... Um, not Vanessa. Baker Vanessa, like, gets with the prince and shit, and they fucking hook up and you know, live a ha- fucking happy life and fall in love and stuff like that. Vanessa has, well, Baker Vanessa has now solidified a permanent spot in the upper class. So not, she's now not, now she's actually not just kind of fantasize. Not fantasize. Well, let me reword this. Baker Vanessa basically isn't just wearing a mask of the upper class. She is now a part of the upper class because she married into it. And the same mm. thing could be said about, um you know, Princess Vanessa. And so it's the fact that for them to kind of change class, they have to marry and they have to fall in love. So the way to break out of your class barrier is to be with a man or to marry with a man and to up- to uphold the idea of marriage. But yeah, it's it's something that's really interesting is that that class, that class barrier kind of melts in Christmas films. It both melts, but it also is reinforced because... Again, the idea of marriage is one of like the key things of these Christmas films. Is that the end goal is to be married and, and it to have only children. Melts upwards. You don't see anybody going lower in their station. You only see them going higher. And even though Pommy Vanessa Hudgens, the princess, like kind of settles in with Kevin at the end of the first film, at the start of the second film, she has broken up with Kevin and is becoming a queen. You never see lower descent. You only see ascension. And I think that's kind of like the idea between... About the Princess Switch, which I find fascinating, is that class... I think that class shifting, you know. And in The Night Before Christmas, which is another film that we're going to talk about, which also stars Vanessa Hudgens because she is now the new default queen of Christmas. She's the queen of Netflix. She's a fucking need to, need icon. Need to classify film queen because the queen is Mariah Carey, okay? Yes, okay, okay, we get it. Vanessa can Christmas. be the film queen of Christmas, but Mariah will never be dethroned. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most widest thing you've ever said to me, and I hate I have a it. Mariah Carey t-shirt. I bought I it to piss Khan off. I know you do, I know you do, but the thing is the fact that you fucking idolise Mariah Carey is the most widest thing you've I ever don't. said to I me. I don't, I just love the fact that that one song pisses Khan off. And because of that, I have considered committing a white genocide because of you, Nick. Please, <laughs> I do want to die. Yeah, but The Night Before Christmas is basically like, it's like that time travel film which i all like i fucking love time travel films you know i okay there's okay this is another tangent but in korean drama there's a lot of films or not a lot of films but there's films and there's um television shows about like about like ancient um like ancient people ancient people but like people from ancient times actually finding themselves in the future and they have to like kind of like succumb not succumb but like try to adapt to the new lifestyle of the future and i loved watching those as a kid i fucking loved it so much i would watch it all the time and when i watched the night before christmas i was like yes 
this is my shit. I love this. And it, you know what? This film isn't bad. Isn't or is? It isn't bad. Yeah, it's not. It's actually not that's, as bad. That's why I was disappointed. I was so dis- disappointed in this film because I thought, okay, Monica's given me three Christmas films to watch. I'll get sloshed and I'll watch them and I'll laugh at them. But this wasn't bad. So I couldn't laugh at it. But it wasn't good. So I couldn't enjoy it. And it, fr- those films make me mad. Again, the difference between Netflix and Hallmark is that Netflix is willing to capitalize off Christmas but utilizing diversity like diversity as well and i i like that and they they use different like they actually use interesting plot points and obviously like the cinematic the, the cinematography is better and the editing's better and it isn't like disgusting to watch because hallmark films literally are so the color grading is just so flat mm. and so dull i hate it but i just like watching the netflix christmas films way more than the hallmark films and i think the most biggest thing like do like do you remember when i was talking about how the biggest part of hallmark christmas hallmark films and christmas films is the product placement yeah that's i wanted to mention that then the fucking alexa shit in the nightmare before the night before christmas like when vanessa hudgens pulls out like an alexa and she's like okay you just tell it what you want i'm just like netflix oh my god really like in the princess switch netflix does this weird thing where it's like oh let's watch a movie and then the characters within the netflix film pull up netflix exactly it's It's so like okay okay so fucking meta yeah this is weird and it's meta but okay and then they pull out alexa and it's just like motherfucker what and just so much of the film is revolved around this Alexa and it makes me want to say Alexa please shoot me Mm. but yeah like I I I actually really like this film and you know what the main guy is hot but he's not not that hot hot. he's not not hot but he's kind of hot but not hot he's like a six and a half half. yeah six and a half for me because the spirit of Christmas, that guy had a... Mm. Uh, no, that guy looked like he would call you a sexy son of a fuck, give you a shitty haircut, give you a whiskey while he was giving you a haircut, and then give pay, make you pay $90 for the haircut. I'm just saying, but I love my hipster boys. My hipster boys. And he looks like, obviously, he would give you like a smoking whiskey and he would you know, tell you how much he loves you and you've only just met him. He looks like him. he would mansplain you unironically. Yeah, and the thing is, like, he'll take you to his bicycle because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have his license. He doesn't believe in public transport. And his bicycle is actually, what, a unicycle. You know? <laughs> Bro, like, um, he's... I don't want to bring out this horny, but I'm going to bring it out here anyway. But he okay. is such a bottom... I don't know why in your letterbox review you you said you wanted him to roar you, you wanted him to top you, because that man, no man has eyelashes like that and tops, okay? This man is a bottom. Maybe. I mean, okay. I want to roar him so fucking hard that his spirit leaves his body and (laughs) fucks off to heaven with his wife. My god. That ghost is a bottom. Okay, we pegging that ghost. Are we we pegging that ghost? ghost? We're pegging pegging that that... ghost. I'm pulling out the strap. We're pegging that ghost. We're pulling out the strap on. Alright. But, yeah, it's like, again, The Night Before Christmas is so meta and the product placement, but it's actually a really nice film and I really, really, really like it. And it actually gives me serotonin and not much really gives me serotonin, but I'm glad it does you know and i guess in terms of very like i guess in terms of christmas films what about the christmas films that you watch but they actually aren't really hallmark films or like romantic christmas films or just films that you know just exude christmas oh for me personally Mm, i've got a few Mm, um obviously come okay so narnia because a major plot point is that it's always winter never christmas so Mm. obviously that feels like a christmas film lord of the rings mean wheels prince of egypt jim carrey's how the grinch stole christmas shrek Mm. wake and fright any monty python film especially life of brown and holy grow like i feel Mm. like the some of these need explaining so allow me um okay reason for lord of the rings being there is because 
Um, we would always have Christmas Eve at my Oma's house because she's German and Christmas Eve is basically bigger than Christmas Day. And literally, whenever you would walk into this woman's house, like, she would always have on Lord of the Rings or Judge Judy. So around this time oh of year, God. we would always walk into this house. It would always be Lord of the Rings. And I don't know, just, like, I'm instinctively wired to associate December with, like, Lord of the Rings. And that's why I usually have my, like, marathons around this time of year. Um... Prince of Egypt was another weird one. Um, mm. Well, that's also a similar thing because uh, you remember when you get to December and your teachers mm. stop wanting to teach you? Yes. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. That's my favorite, that's it was my great. favorite part. And they would always chuck on a movie or something. What movie did they chuck on for you guys? Um, They chucked on... <laughs> I remember my math teacher, who's actually an Indonesian Catholic, but he's also a communist. Most craziest person ever. I would actually derail all of my classes by talking about soccer and talking about films with him. And he would go on tangents about how much he hated his wife and how much he wanted to divorce his wife. And he would, and he and he would and he would specifically um, he would specifically um, make a parallel with his wife and steak. And he's like, he, here's a quote from him. He's like, he's like. When you eat steak every day, you get bored and tired of it. But if you switch it up for fried noodles, now that's good. And I didn't know understand what that means. But I remember he kept saying that and I was like, I honestly think he might be. I have no idea. I'm not going to like say anything. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And the thing is like the craziest thing is one day, randomly, we all bought HSP and went to class and he was just like, I don't want to teach anymore. And he just put on a movie. And the movie he put on is Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart and The Rock. <laughs> and the thing is, like, that film was still in cinemas as well. And so he basically pirated the film. Let's <laughs> watch it in class on the projector. It was the best fucking part of like my, my high school years. Uh, he was such a, he was such a crackhead. Like I think one one of his one of his other famous quotes was, because he was like he had a receding ball a receding like hairline. He's um, and his quote was, "My forehead is brighter than your future," because <laughs> he had a really shiny forehead all the time. Oh my god, this it is so off topic. Fun. But one time, my year twelve uh, English teacher went up to a guy who was like probably the. Not the smartest in the class. <laughs> also, he was my ex-boyfriend twice oh. over. <laughs> and he said, because he, he was recommended universities that we might apply to. So it's like for all the smart kids, he was saying like, oh yeah, you know, Deakin, Melbourne, Monash. And then he's like, you'll be lucky if you get into Swinburne. <laughs> we died. We all fucking died that day. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, powerful. Because I did 13 years of Catholic school, the whole time, every time in December, you would get to December, your teacher doesn't want to teach you anymore, and because they, it was a Catholic school, so you could only put on, like, so many approved films, they would just put on The Prince of Egypt every mm. fucking time. <laughs> and so that's why I, I know that movie, like, the back of my hand, like, oh my god. And that's also why, like, Shrek is in that list of movie films, movie films, Christmas films that I associate because in year seven we had studied Shrek. Oh my god, then, really? Yeah. We also studied we Shrek studied in year seven Shrek. too. Yeah. yeah, in year seven, I also studied Shrek too. Yeah, and That's so uh, crazy. at the end of the year, my um teacher just put on Shrek on like the last day of school. And I remember it was so fun because it was my last day of my first year of high school. And it's like, and I was hitting people with like big sticks and shit. It was a fun day. <laughs> and yeah. I fucking loved was... how we both studied Shrek in like year seven. And yeah. like the best part was the fact that like that was kind of the start of how we started analyzing film. And it was no, started with Shrek. I was not analyzing Shrek. I, I was analyzing Shrek. I didn't start analyzing film until year twelve. Truth be told, I was <laughs> in my media class uh, because my media teacher was trying so hard to make the rest of the class like try to analyze this film 
that I felt like, oh my god, if I do really well, maybe the rest of the class will be inspired. They weren't. Yeah, it's it's really, really, really cool. Um, but like, I think the other Christmas films I've been kind of watching, the last one that I've watched is um, the one with uh, the queers. Now we, I, oh, we didn't talk about heterosexuals. Can we? Talk, we can talk about them now. Yeah. Okay. We can always talk about the heterosexuals. Yeah, okay, so I think the, the, the film that we've just recently watched together is actually called Happiest Season. It is a film about lesbians in Christmas, which Harold, I love. Harold, they're lesbians. Harold, they're lesbians. No, because the, here's the thing. It's the fact that all of these Christmas Hallmark films are not only white, but very, very heteronormative. They basically, like... They basically reinforce white heteronormativity. And yeah. the thing about with white heteronormativity is not only is it just, oh, the straights, but it also reaffirms the gender binary. It reaffirms stereotypes about gender and about men and women and anything in between. And it's something that's really kind of unsettling to watch when you aren't heterosexual and you aren't cis. And you're watching all of these women who are, who, you know, their whole aim goal is to be married and to have children. And for somebody who doesn't identify as a woman, particularly, and as somebody who doesn't really want to have children or even get married, it feels like very distant. Like it doesn't feel like a fantasy to you. It feels more of a, it feels more of like a, a kind of like a dystopia, I think. Well, in my personal opinion, it feels like a dystopia where you basically leave your entire life in the city for a man, a man, you know? And I think with Happier Season, the most interesting part of it is the fact that it is about lesbians, but it does uphold this traditionalist thinking of marriage. Like, one of the characters, Kristen Stewart, like, she wants to get married with, like, what's her name? Fucking Harper. Harper. If Harper was a man, people would be more inclined to point out the problems in mm. their relationship and the way that Harper treats Kristen Stewart. But because mm. they're lesbians, we're not going to address the fact that Harper is incredibly abusive, at least emotionally, to Kristen Stewart. But they're lesbians, so we're not going to get into that, I guess. Because yay, diversity! Exactly, and the fact that, like, obviously it's very important that representation exists, especially within a genre that is so white and so incredibly heterosexual. You have, you know, Kristen Stewart who's there, and she is, she's a lesbian, but she's also a lesbian who is fucking hot and is quite masked and, you know, doesn't, and it kind of, like, Yo, walks did, in that. Did you just call Kristen Stewart mask? Okay, I didn't call her mask. I no, think she's no, hot. No, 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 no. She is not masculine. I uh, not not for a lesbian. She's not a masculine she lesbian. She isn't. Oh. No, that's not what a masculine lesbian looks like. Because oh my god, what does the a way that the media look portrays? Like? Um, have you ever seen Orange Is the New Black? Oh, I actually haven't. <laughs> oh, well, that's because that's the only like reference point that I can think of for actually showing. A masculine lesbian because I know masculine lesbians. My Bush lesbians, one. yeah, mm. yeah, and they do not look at all like the way that the media portrays because the media is so encapsulated with showing the femininity in lesbianism that they won't That's show true. the masculinity in lesbianism. They won't show a butch the way they. Oh my god! I almost died one day when I saw somebody call Ruby Rose Butch. I bro, like no. I mean, I I mean, I am going to admit the fact that like I have never actually met a butch lesbian, and I don't actually have that much exposure to like butch lesbians. All the lesbians that I've met in real life were quite femme, or you know, dressed quite like boyish, but were never really butch. And so obviously, I never really had that experience and that exposure. But I'm queer. And I am in the community. And the fact that somebody who isn't in the community and who identifies as cis and heterosexual, they would get their entire, like, I guess, like, their entire, like, like thoughts and feelings and emotions about lesbians and the gays through media is that they, their experiences come from media. And so, mm. obviously, you're definitely right. Like, with Christian Stewart, like, isn't butch. She isn't masked. But she is, I guess, I do find her 
she's dominating. She She, is dominating. She definitely exudes top energy. She does. Mm. But, you know, I know know her strap-on is big. (laughs) I love Kristen Short. I want her to top me so hard. Oh, my God. The fact that she was standing there in that Christmas party dressed Mm. like that still gets me. And people people were still like, oh, that's a heterosexual roommate. And they were roommates. (laughs) That's not heterosexual. Exactly. And it's just a thing that heterosexuals do is that they don't, want to admit that queer queerness exists they just want to like turn a blind eye to it and it's the immediate fact that there's there's something that i actually heard recently from somebody um and this is like i heard from somebody who also heard from someone it's like a secondhand heard thingy but it's the fact that you can actually just assume that everybody is queer until they tell you so and so that's mm. something that I've been trying to do like recently is that I try to assume that everybody is queer. And so when they say they're not, I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so obviously it's just something that's interesting is that you assume someone is queer. Or like, I feel like it's an interesting exercise, but a reactionary one. I feel like the more productive worldview might be to assume nothing until you're told otherwise. Don't assume that a person is inherently LGBT unless you tell... <laughs> they tell you that they're not but like i mean yeah it's true but at the same time it's very hard not to assume something it's always like that it's kind of like that geared stereotypes where you just have these stereotypes there in your head you just have them and so it's hard to change your thinking and it happens all the time with race sexuality with like everything basically and so i think the problem with heterosexual is the fact that through media and especially through these Christmas films, they reinforce this hegemonic heterosexuality onto onto these characters. And so, and honestly, I'm gonna say it, but some of these Christmas films, these Hallmark Christmas films, are very queer coded. Like, some of them are quite queer coded. Okay, like some of them can definitely be about lesbians. They try to hide it by putting a man in, in, in that you know center and front, and just try to like force a man and a woman together yeah it, it all it all goes back to that hallmark kind of traditional thinking basically and i think happier season was kind of just refreshing in a way because it just is nice not to see straight people in a christmas film but it did uphold a lot of like traditional thinking like i said for like marriage and yeah. all of these like other marriage. things and also the fact that the guy was like having a the only person of color who i remember as having a name was the one involved in a divorce like yeah and also was like cheating on his wife and stuff like that having an affair with his wife and and he was having an affair with another woman of color we can go even deeper but i'd rather not it's just obviously there's problems about like with queer films is you can be queer but you can still be racist and you can still be objectively a not good film exactly just because it's promoting diversity doesn't mean it's good but i mean orby plaza oh man god she makes cool things (laughs) the noises you made during that movie (laughs) thank god thank god ash wasn't there i think no no if ash was there we would both thirst over christmas shirt (laughs) I mean, I was sitting right next to you, thirsting as well, but I was not making those noises, and I was not spreading my legs that wide. (laughs) Like, I swear to God, you wanted Christian Stewart to, like, reach out from the movie screen and fuck you in front of all of us, the way that you were posing. Yep, that's... I was was man-spreading because I wanted... I was just getting comfortable. Is that what you call it? Yeah. That's time. Now we'll wrap it. Uh, let's wrap this up like the Christmas presents that I have to put under the tree for tomorrow. But I have a surprise for you, Mon. The Christmas vibes do not stop here. Because <gasps> our next episode has immaculate Christmas vibes. And it's one that's been in the making for quite a while. And it's one that I consider a Christmas movie because of its Christmas December release date last year. Yeah. That's right. The biggest flop of 2019. Cats 
2019. No. We're doing the Cats episode. Oh my I've... god, are you kidding me? I, <laughs> you're going to force me to watch this film again. I'm not going to force you to watch this film, but I'm, I am going to force you to sit through at least three hours of me talking about this film. I can. I can definitely. I'm going to re-watch that film, and I'm going to do it sober. What? I'm going to watch Not even movies. I do that. But until next year... Oh my god, I love it. It's the time of year where you can say, see you next year. And it's like, see you next year, true. guys. I love yeah. that joke. <laughs> it's, I'm never going to get sick of it. Yeah, neither am I. But until next year, you can find our updates on that on our social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. And also, I have a super secret cats blog on Tumblr, which is linked with all our other super secret socials in the description below, as well as our sources and our email address. But until next year, I have been Saint Nick. And I've been Saint Johnny Little Ratma.